Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Anna, for whom success in relating to self means getting comfortable with the crap too. Enjoy. Anna, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Hi, thank you. So Anna, you are a yoga teacher and a project manager for the biotech industry. And I know you because of a referral. Gali, who was in our first season, told me that it would be good to have you on this podcast. Yeah, that's, that's correct right now. <laughs> I am that right now. Wonderful. Well, let's dive in. I mean, relating to self, the big first question, what does that mean for you specifically? I think... Um, it's something that is ever changing. I, the relationship I've had with myself, uh, it's, it's weird to put it that way, right? Um, has always been different. Although I always love spending time by myself since I was a kid. I love playing alone, even though I have two sisters that I played a lot with. But on an overall perspective, I feel like my relationship to myself has evolved from many different, like many different stages and standpoints, like from strict and violent to loving and respectful. I fluctuate between discipline and completely free flow, um, you know, unscheduled stuff. So I think I became comfortable with the idea of having that relationship be always different in stages and then take it, take it as it comes, like meet myself where I'm at at that point and just try to do the best at whichever stage that has been. Hmm. Yeah. I really, I really like that. This idea of the relationship changing, not necessarily just growing and getting better, just yeah. fluctuating and having different stages. And mm -hmm. what I hear is that you have come to the point where you feel comfortable with those different stages. And yeah. I wonder, it sounds like a kind of compassion perhaps for yeah. how you relate to yourself. Would that be accurate? Yeah, definitely. I've learned compassion for myself, which was, was not easy to come by, let's say. For, I don't know why, but, uh, but yeah, at the beginning there was none of that and then slowly growing. Um, I think that the learning from it is not always like, you know, a revelation or, you know, sometimes it's nothing big. Sometimes you forget about the things you learned and then do it again and again. So the learning part, I think that just never ends. It's just something that I kind of realized whenever I came to a point like, oh, now, you know, now I did it. It's done. I, I finally, you know, overcame this. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, <laughs> I, I, I won't. I have to do it again and again and again, and it will never end. And I was like, oh my God, but that's so tiring. But then it's like, okay, but actually that's life. So fine. <laughs> you know, I'll wait for the next one. Hmm. Yeah. I, I really resonate with what you said about forgetting things. I've, yeah. I've had it so many times where I kind of like take an old journal or a notebook and I go through it and then I read something. I'm like, oh my God, I knew this two years ago. <laughs> I understood yeah. this two years ago. I forgot about this, right? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. I know that everything is like a success story. I have none of those. <laughs> it's just like, it, I will make the same mistake again. I'm sure. Um, it's just like, I guess the, the, the success here is being comfortable with 
the crap too. It's like, oh, this is one, this is one stage that is not pretty and hopefully it will end. Um, because you know, you, you trust that it will change, but you don't know if it's going to be for the better. So I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> totally. I love it. This idea of being comfortable with the crap too is definitely something that I am practicing as well. I, I name that as compassion, you know, whatever comes up, whatever mm. is real for me right now, I accept. Yeah. And I don't want to bullshit myself anymore. Let's say yeah. I don't want to pretend if I'm in a phase where things don't make much sense or I struggle, I don't want to try to make it seem as if like, you know, I'm on top of things yeah, and I have this like beautiful relationship together. with myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that that in itself is, is one of the practices that I'm really happy to, to try to spread. And I think it mm. relates to what you said earlier, where you were like, okay, I developed compassion for myself and that wasn't easy. And I don't know why. Well, I have a theory why, and it's because we don't really see that around us very much. Yeah. Growing up and being in the world, even as an adult, I have very rarely seen people being compassionate to themselves. Yeah. Most people seem to be quite harsh on themselves and use the kind of self language that shows that they don't really have a very kind relationship to themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why that's difficult. And so... I'm, I'm curious about how you started to change that. Was there a specific mm -hmm. like insight or something that changed in your life that made you curious about how you could be more kind to yourself? Yeah, I think actually a story comes to mind because um, let's say for, I don't want to say first half, but for a long time of my, my life, um, I was in this like, violent cycle or like, you know, to myself, like just nothing was enough. Nothing was ever enough. Nothing was good enough. Um, and so I kind of try to, um, and, and I kind of like escape through, um, exercise and I was always the best in school and so on, that kind of behavior. Um, and then one time I was, this was during my PhD time. I was, running in the mornings and always going swimming at 9 p.m. at night. Um, plus, you know, my work in the lab and all of that. And that day I was going swimming, but I had diarrhea. <laughs> and I was like, I was really sick, but I was like, no, I have to go swimming. And I also had a mild shoulder injury, um, but I could still swim. And, and then my goggles were like already very old. And so the water would get in and I was swimming, you know, with like, I was like crookedly swimming, almost like with, just with an, one arm and trying to let the other one rest. And then every 200 meters running out the pool and going to the toilet and, you know, just like exploding and then coming back and swimming in again. And then my, my eyes were full of water. And at some point I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Fuck this shit. Like, seriously, like I told myself, Ana Lucia, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, so at some point I just reached the shore. And I just left the pool and it was the first time ever, like by Diane, I had been swimming for like 10 years. I've never left the training mid, you know, like in the middle. And I went home and I was like, when I was riding the train home, I'm like, okay, so I shouldn't do that. Right. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I being so, you know, to the point of being so broken in many different places and continue to do it. And I think from then I started to to say, okay, I'm not going to go to those extremes anymore. Um, and, and I was still teaching yoga then. Most of my classes and practices tended to be very fiery. You know, like I always like a friend of mine says, oh, your classes is like, if it's no work, if it's not core work, you know, well, very, <laughs> very on the um, hard aspect. But I always love this practice of yin yoga. And there I started practicing more and more and more until I was like, oh my God, I need so much this type of practice where you do nothing and you just like sit there being uncomfortable, just not moving, you know, for a long time. Um, and I think I just like really integrated that and started to balance more what I did, it, it was, as I said, not an ultimate learning. I still continue to do all the other things, but 
I think that was a breaking moment for sure. Like I remember <laughs> this moment with the goggles. Um, so ever since then, that was already a long time ago. It has gotten better. Hmm, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea that you reach this extreme. And then because it's so extreme, yeah. you kind of can't help but noticing yeah. like, what am I doing to myself, right? Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was like, yeah. seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I've encountered also lots of people also on the podcast who have come to changing their relationship with themselves out of necessity, right? Like after a burnout or after something really goes wrong. Yeah. And so this seems all things considered to be a relatively benign kind of noticing that the path you're on maybe isn't the best. Yeah. Hmm. I'm really curious also about something you said earlier that you oscillate between discipline and being more in free flow. And I yeah. wonder if you could tell me more about that. Yeah. So from, from these stories I told you, I, I really like having a practice that grounds me. And for the first few years or like a lot of years of my life, I've, I've been very consistent and disciplined with things like swimming, um, like running yoga, but then, but, but those commitments and disciplines are chosen and so there are things where I don't like to have any commitments and rules from outside. So it's like, I'm the opposite person when it comes to, oh, let's make a plan for the weekend. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to be wanting to do this weekend. So I don't know. Let me tell you later, you know? And, and so, and also for other things that are not like structured, like work, I don't want to have plans, um, and I don't know. And, and I also have like, I've had stages of my life where I'm all discipline and work. And then stages where I was like, I don't know, teaching yoga on the beach and just being a total hippie, you know? And then I come back to the need of, oh, but now I need structure and discipline again. And then I do it again. And then I quit it again. You know? So it's like, I kind of like feel my need for having that. And then I'm full and I need to empty it again. I haven't quite figured it out, but I feel like I just have these two sides. One needs discipline and structure in some amount, and the other just needs to be completely detached. You know, for example, I I don't make commitments very easily because, you know, because I learned before that if I'm going to commit to something, it's like blood, sweat, tears, and, you know, I can't quit it anymore. I feel like if I say yes to something... I can't backtrack, so I don't say yes to much things, to many things, because I won't quit. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that's beautiful, to be honest. That's something I've been exploring for myself and that also I've been telling others. This idea of trying to build trust with yourself and with the world by only committing to what you know you can show up for. Yeah. So I think yeah. one of the problems is that people commit to things that they actually already know that they won't be able to keep up. Like, you know, typically now uh, after New Year's, people go like, yes, I will eat healthily right. or I will go to the gym every week. They kind of already know that that's not going to happen. And then yeah. because they break those commitments, they end up decreasing the trust they have in themselves and in their ability mm -hmm. to navigate commitments. So I think your method of being careful what you say yes to is actually pretty wise. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if it's wise, but... I think I also lead it by, by energy. Like one of the things that I had a lot of trouble with was saying no to plans and commitments to people um, until I realized, I mean, they're better off without me if I say no, really, because I don't want to do this. But can, can they understand it? It took me some time to understand it myself, you know. Um, but I just wish more people would do this with their friends. You know, it's like, oh, actually you don't have to come. <laughs> if you don't really want to, don't come. I, I would love to have friends that told me this, you know, everybody's like getting offended if you don't show and you're like, oh, but you don't understand. <laughs> um, so yeah, learning to say no, when you really, it's like connecting to your intuition. Like, what do you really want? And not, not from a selfish perspective. I mean, of course, a little bit selfish, um, but more like self-esteem, like caring, like you say, compassion. It's like, I don't feel good. Or there are times when you don't feel good, 
but you still want to go. Like you still know that it will do you well if you go. And other times where just, you shouldn't. And distinguishing between these two is so fucking hard. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's really interesting you bring that up. Um, this whole idea of having boundaries and being able to say no. And there's this one concept that comes up um, that I've talked about in the podcast as well with a couple of people, this idea of the full body yes. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, that was kind of hard for me to understand because my my perception is my body never fully says yes. There's always like, you know, tension somewhere. There's also always something. And I had an exchange about this actually with Gali um, mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the way she phrased it kind of helped me this idea that the full body yes just means that there is no doubt that mm -hmm. there are no like things that tell you inside, like, no, you shouldn't do this. Yeah. And I think that's a helpful tool to navigate decisions. Like, is there any doubt? Is there anything in me that tells me I shouldn't do this? And if there is no, if there's an absence of no's, then I guess it's a full body. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that something that you think about? Um, yeah, but sometimes, I mean, as I said, there's also varying degrees of connection with your thoughts, your body, your emotions, right? So sometimes you don't know if it's yes or no. <laughs> you know, I had a friend who said, when there's doubt, there's no doubt, you know, like, because you actually don't want, because you're doubting. Um, but I've been indecisive all my life, you know, because I fluctuate between these polar opposites. So for me in particular, it has been really hard to detect absence of no or I've had so few, like, I don't even know if I can remember any full body yeses, quotation marks, that, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's been it's so beautiful. hard. Yeah, it's yeah, hard. Like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I had a great conversation about this with Natasha on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. And she brought something to the table that I thought was also very interesting. And I would love to have your opinion on this. That is that anytime she feels that there is unclarity, you can just ask more questions. So it's like, Hey, you know, do you want to come this weekend to do this thing? And then you feel into your body and like, oof, I don't know if it, like, what does it feel to yeah. connect with myself right now? And then just start asking questions. Tell me more. Where are you going? What's the plan exactly? And so on and so on yeah. until you feel some kind of clarity or at least you're closer to a clarity. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's true. That has worked for me in the past as well. You know, because I can start imagining how it would feel, even if it's not true, right? Like, even if it's not going to happen exactly. Um, that's one of the other things I learned <laughs> when I made decisions. It's like you, you make a decision based on all the information you have, and then the reality happens, and it's not nothing like regardless of the information you had. Um, but yes, that, that helps, especially in social, social events, right? Like if you're going to a place, you know, or you don't know if it's going to be the mountain or the sea, if you're going to be with people or alone, you know, yeah, that I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to use it. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was helpful because I often have these cases where I think like, Hmm, I don't feel like I want to go because I'm oh. tired or I'm lazy or whatever. But then there's this thought in me that says something like, but maybe if I go, it would be really beneficial for me. Like once yeah. I get moving, once I get over myself, I would really enjoy this. And then yeah. I don't really know. And I think in those cases, just asking more questions can quickly reveal if there's an excitement in me about something or not. Mm. Yeah. But you know what? Like, yeah, I, I've struggled a lot with that those premises that we establish for ourselves as truths, like, I know that this will be good for me, you know? And I think I was also having a journal and in every entry of the journal, every five years or so, there was like, don't forget that you love exercising, you know, like that, that this has made you feel consistently good. And, you know, when I've been a little bit down or whatever, so it's like, yeah. And so that led me to this episode like with the goggles like because I didn't want to go but I thought oh no but this is you know ultimately 
good for me. This is the truth. And I knew it. And, and it wasn't. You know? So it's like every time it's a new choice. And that just seems like, again, when does it end? Never. <laughs> you know, if I ask more questions, would that help? If I already know the underlying truth would be ultimately good, that still doesn't matter. You still need to read this particular moment as if it was the first time. No? I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but it has happened to me like that, you know, or like that's how I've experienced it. Yeah, I hear you. I I can't decide. I mean, it's a it's a bit of both for me. Like the, the yeah. example you gave of reminding yourself that you love exercise reminds me that I have a checklist like that. Like if I feel down for whatever reason, I have this very simple checklist. And it's something like, have I had light recently? Have I connected deeply with people who are important to me? Have I fed myself well? Have I moved enough? Am oh, yeah. I drinking enough water? Like very simple things that I know if I don't do them impact my life in a negative way. But then of course, as you say, there's this aspect always of checking in what's real for now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help if you're like, if you feel bad and you just go through the checklist and you say like, quick, I need to get out in the sun and I need to move and I need to drink water and then I'll feel great. That's yeah. probably not true either, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a very, like a sci-fi idea. And I love it. I mean, I love the checklist idea because I've always thought like, could humans come with an instruction? You know, because like, sometimes you're born into a bad household, you know, and But if you came with your own instructions, you would know that at least you, you needed to do those things, you know, and, and then from, from that baseline, learn whether, you know, in the moment it applies or not, you know, further down the road. But I feel like we should all come with body and mind and emotional tools from newborns, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Alas. But I think that's also nice because that's part of the journey, right? I feel like yeah. writing your own manual or understanding your own manual is a big part of what figuring life is about for me. And it's yeah. a continuous process, as you say. And that brings me to my next question then, because I actually know people who have something like that when it comes to relating to others. Like, you know, when you enter a relationship with a human being, whether it's a work relationship or a love relationship or whatever it is, Some people have a manual ready. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. Uh, no. I've made some step towards that. Uh, when I started hiring a team, I was like, okay, let's get together with every single person of the team and figuring out like stuff like communication preferences or how we understand what we say to each other to make sure that there are no misunderstandings or minimize the misunderstandings. And so I'm curious now that you have more insight in your own instruction manual for yourself, when you enter in a relationship with someone else, do you give them some of that information? Do you kind of divulge of like, this is how I work? No, no, I've, I don't think I've ever done that. Um, although I've realized I, you know, some of the things I kind of checked off as you know, this is important to me in a relationship. Now I get like, I accept less bullshit, you know? So just like, I don't have a checklist. I don't carry it with me. I don't even have it out of the top of my head, but I know when I meet a person to recognize the things that it's like, oh, this is nice. Cause you know, and then something clicks into place and it's like, ah, cause this person knows how to listen. And I like that. So check, you know, in, in some list somewhere in a, coffin deep underground um or or the opposite as well it's like this person is very self-absorbed and is not interested in knowing who anybody else is so um, okay let's make a mental note about that you know um but i don't i don't have a disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that would be helpful i don't know i'm i'm curious yeah. about that Yeah, I do. So I'm in a relationship right now. We've been talking about, you know, just in this particular relationship, what, what are our non-negotiables, you know, after uh, knowing each other for a couple of years and coming to the point where we are at now, it's like, okay, well, where are we going and what do we need? You know, what do you need as a human? What do I need? And so I, 
I've been reflecting on that. What are my non-negotiables? And, and what are the, you know, okay, like what's top one? And then the next one's over. Okay, I could work on that. I could work on that if you don't have it. Some compromises and, and for him as well, right? So we've, we've been having that sort of conversation. But, you know, if I think outside of this, I, I would say if this was a different person, maybe my non-negotiable number one would be different. You know, so it's like, this is not a given, but what I know is that the things that he has that made me stay till this point, I don't want to unlearn those, you know, like I, I want to, you know, keep valuing kindness and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Hmm. I'm really curious now about the non-negotiables that you could have with yourself. Is there like a line that you go like, okay, I will never treat myself in this way. Yeah. I mean, we should definitely have some of those. Um, I think you should never question your value, your worthiness of love. Of course, first from yourself, but I think we measure it also by, by how others love us. Um, I guess that's unavoidable. Is it? No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's a tendency. I would say it's a tendency. I don't, I don't think I have that big of a tendency right now. But yeah, I mean, I think non-negotiable for myself. I learned that I have to learn when to say no. You know, this, this has been an experience. And also as a woman, so for every woman out there, Please, please learn when to say no, very emphatically, <laughs> maybe many times. Um, to not accept violence of any kind, like, I don't know. Yeah, but I guess that the first thing I said, you should never question your, your worth as a person, like as a value. Everybody, everybody has, everybody's worthy Even if you've done bad stuff, you know, you can always go back <laughs> and do good stuff again. Yeah. I, I guess for me personally, the, the problem there is that I never question my worth. I never doubt that I'm worthy of love or anything like that, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. You know, feelings come up of unworthiness and luckily I'm at the point now where those don't impact my ability to understand that I am worthy and they won't impact my decision-making in my life. I won't do stuff because I feel unworthy, but those feelings are still there. Yeah. And I'm curious if you experience something similar and if you have then a process to hold those feelings or to give space to them or what comes up for you there. I don't know. I mean, actually don't know. I have, I always like draw or like invent stories in my head. Like who, who would be an unworthy person? Like who, what could have this person done? Right. And, and I can think of really creepy, dark <laughs> stuff. Um, but for example, say somebody killed someone, that person who killed someone, They also have a story. You don't know why, but, you know, maybe they have imbalances or, you know, anything. But if, if everybody would realize that person still is worth of love and we would all love this person, would they choose to behave otherwise, you know, like to stop killing or to, you know, so, and if I, then I extrapolate that to myself. Like, what is, what is really the worst thing that I can do? And would that remove my worthiness or like my, my deserving of love? And so it's, it's a very difficult question, but you should don't, not do anything that will make you feel so bad that you stop loving yourself. Hmm. Yeah, no, I don't that's, know. that's beautiful. I, I actually like this idea of using fiction, of using these stories to examine those questions. And that reminds me of a book that I read. It's a long time ago. I can't remember the author. I think the book was called We Are Water. It's a fictional story. 
Um, but it tells the story from different perspectives of different people at the same time. So you don't really know, you know, the exact chronology of events in the beginning. But then it's a story of abuse. It's a story of uh, a man who abuses a child. And obviously, as the story builds, you feel this enormous judgment and you feel repulsed by the actions of this character in the book. Mm. But then you realize that in the other part of the book, the story that is being told is the story of that person, how they grow up as a child and the kind of trauma they went through. And then you can't help while reading that book to feel some kind of empathy yeah. for that character. And that is so strange to feel because, you know, it brings up all these moral questions. Mm. And yeah, I really enjoyed reading that book just to, to experience that state of disarray where I didn't know anymore. Like, okay, so who should I hate here? <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah. 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 Hate is a strong word, but yes, I, I always try to apply that kind of empathy and compassion um, and yeah, I started applying it to others and then myself, right? Maybe it should be the other way around, <laughs> but I think like the, the motto of your podcast is, I agree with it. If we all be kinder with, you know, insert person, <laughs> yourself or others, the world would be better. Like assume no harm or assume everybody deserves your your kindness your compassion mm. yeah one of the big things that changed for me there is to understand that most of the time when people treat others unkindly it's exactly because they don't treat themselves kindly either yeah it's because they are struggling with something that is unresolved in them and so they project that outwardly on others but yeah. they are actually suffering from the inside it's not about the others usually right yeah totally and this is very clear in children. Mm. No, I have I have a nephew who he's very aggressive. He always liked playing I must like say sadistic games, kind of. But and he doesn't know this, but he was or he doesn't remember rather. He had big trauma as a child, like a, a surgery and many times, and so he suffered and felt helpless. But this is my interpretation of things, right? Because I know the things that happened to him, which can be very traumatic. And he has dreamed about those things. And none of the grown-ups around him ever confirmed that his dreams were actually the reality he experienced. And so I feel like he, he has all this like sadness that he transforms into aggression because he he feel have he felt so powerless then and he needs to recover this sense of empowerment and uses others you know now that he's stronger and bigger and you know like a growing strong boy he he can retaliate against the world for for what it happened to him so it's it's very hard to watch but i've seen that you know and sometimes you just want to like slap him or just like what are you don't treat your sister like that you know because it's a little sister and he just like bangs her through or against the wall but when you are kind to him like I was surprised I saw him just this last Christmas he was so nice you know like just a little bit he's still like a prick <laughs> you know but 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 if you're nice he has this other side like he just needs much more like a unsurmountable amount of love and then maybe he'll come around you know well if i may offer a reflection i want to lead by saying i don't have children i know nothing about children or how to raise children right let that be very clear but from what you're saying to me it sounds like what this person needs is to be told the truth oh i have said this so many times but they don't agree with me i mean i'm not the yeah. um, guardian or you know it's like the people who are responsible for his care have made those decisions not to tell him and i don't agree I, I i think he should know from you know he should have known since he could think and he's super smart like he could he could form conclusions and ask questions since he was like three you know so he should know <laughs> but yeah it, it strikes me that almost always or i guess even always when people try to prevent hurt 
by not looking at the truth or not telling the truth, they're actually creating more hurt and more suffering. <sighs> Always. Yeah, of course, telling the truth is hard and difficult. And I know this because it's very hard to tell myself the truth, right? That's the ultimate test of that. It's like looking at what's real for me is one of my most difficult practices all the time. And I keep discovering new layers of like, wow, I'm still lying to myself. And of course, I also see that that is me preventing suffering in myself because I don't want to look at certain things because they feel difficult or hard or even painful. Mm -hmm. But doing that just creates more suffering. Yeah. So, yeah. But then again, what is real? Isn't just our perception is what's real, right? Like for us. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I would say what is real for me is what I experience and what I feel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when I say I'm not looking at what's real, I mean I am ignoring something in my body that I don't want to feel. Uh, mm -hmm. A sensation or an emotion or something like that. I'm pushing something away or a memory of things, you know. So it's definitely not, I'm not talking about like the, the factual world or the yeah. truth of what is out there. You know, it's more yeah, like... Yeah. You know, if, if I feel sad, then that's real. But if I don't want to feel sad because feeling sad prevents me from doing my work, I may push away the sadness. And then by doing that, I create suffering because then I will sit with something. I'm like, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. Well, it's because yeah. I was sad and I didn't allow myself to be sad. It's a I very see, simple yeah, mechanism. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, Anna, I'm curious. Um, We've talked a lot about how you relate to yourself and, and, you know, how you see the world. Is there anything that feels particularly difficult for you still in how you relate to yourself? I mean, I guess maybe this sounds cliche, but imposter syndrome. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of us ha have it just from the way society's expectations are built around us and, you know, career and all those things. Um, also because how I grew up, you know, that first relationship of with myself when I was very strict and the overachiever then came to the real world or like to the outside world and realized, oh, actually, you're not an overachiever. And, and so I internalized this idea of, it's impossible to be the best, um, you know, but I still wanted to be the best and, and then whatever life happens, but I, st I still struggle with not feeling good enough or smart enough, um, you know, everywhere, but I'm getting so much better at it. <laughs> mm. I went through through an anxiety crisis that then turned into a depression. And in the anxiety, this was the, the, the dominant discourse, you know, like not, no, nothing is good enough. Like, oh my God, I am so stupid. Like I cannot fulfill the expectations that I'm required to do. And it's, it's nothing. So this, I must be really, really bad, you know, um, and then I did like, you know, I did some therapy, I, whatever that, that part of the anxiety got better. I worked a lot on that compassion and not judgment and the voice is still there, you know? So like this year I made, you know, I didn't make any resolutions, but I did think it's like, oh, this year has to be the year where I have to stop telling myself, you know, that you know, that's not good enough. And it's not even like I'm telling it to myself aloud is that when I am introduced to someone or I receive praise, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It's like, don't, don't think this is true. It's like, they're praising me, but actually that's not true. Don't believe it. You know, like I, like that's the disclaimer. It's like, do not believe it. I'm actually not good. By the way, I suck, you know? And, and it's like, nobody's thinking about it. Nobody's asking and you're, you're already like, hey, look, I suck. Huh? Don't forget it. So it's like, I'm not, I don't want to do that this year anymore. Let's see. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not there yet, but that, yeah, that, that's like the ongoing struggle, especially now I'm, I'm going to be changing jobs and I'm like, Oh, please, please don't do it again. You know, like, can I start from a place of, yeah, I deserve to be here. <laughs> Let's see. What do you think you can do to make that happen? 
Um. Shit. I don't know. Try to try to take it one day at a time. Like relax. Try to relax. Um. Enjoy it. I mean, I I think also the reason why I make this changed and. I think I'm hopeful that this new role will align better with my values and that I can have fun doing it. So the stress, and this sounds cliche again, it's like not fun. It's, it's a job. Yes. But you know, I, I want to get into this work where I feel I'm slightly better already from the beginning than if I was, I don't know, a construction worker, you know, it's like, I would suck. I would just make the house collapse so I'm not gonna go into construction work you know <laughs> so I, I I'm gonna go into a realm where I think maybe I can get a head start and already feel a bit more comfortable from the beginning but it's not nothing like oh every day I could I don't know I don't have a formula mm. yeah I'm, I'm just asking because you know I used to struggle with that same thing in the past quite a bit mm-hmm and I think one of the things I discovered was helpful was to remind myself that those people asked me to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. Very simple, very stupid kind of thought, but like, wait, so when it's for a job, you know, they probably looked at different people, they interviewed at different people, and then they chose you, Yeah, <laughs> which probably means something. Like, you know, even if you don't see it, they probably see it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And then you can think all the negative things that, you know, could counter that. Like, yeah, but they were in desperate need and I was the (laughs) only one who was passing by. So that's why I'm here, you know. But uh, yeah, no, I I think like I'm very hopeful in this case because interviews I had were great. You know, we kind of like loved all the process. And so that makes me think from the start, this is a good match. I'm not going to go in into it thinking, I suck. I'm the underdog and I'll have to. Thinking about this, another thing that feels helpful to me, and I think this comes more from being in relationships than in jobs, because to be honest, I haven't been in many jobs in my life either. Mm. Um, I think it's something like, if these people don't like me, if they discover that I suck at this, I want that to happen rather sooner than later. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or like in a relationship, you know, if, if this person doesn't love me or if they don't fit with the kind of person I am, I want to know as quickly as possible. So let me step into everything that I can't do and show very clearly how, you know, how bad I am (laughs) to put it Mm -hmm. that way. (laughs) And if they still want me to be around, then I can relax. Yeah. 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 You definitely have to be able to be yourself in every context. I guess it comes easier or easier quotation marks um, in a relationship for me because I don't feel like my livelihood depends on it. Mm. You know, it's like it's capitalism in the end. There's an exchange, right? Like I'm, I, I need to eat. I need to pay rent. So I won't be like, oh yeah, if you don't want me, I have better things to be, better places to be. Well, yeah, but while you find it, <laughs> how do you eat? You know, so it's like, uh, I don't know. It, yeah, I hear you. That's a really good point. And I have to say, I feel very privileged and grateful that I've been able to escape that situation. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it comes with um, some privilege, some practice, um, some skills, right? But I feel like that's a more difficult relationship to abandon so easily um, when you have other things. Like, for example, for me, um, I'm an immigrant in, in another country where I had, I could not quit the job I had, uh, which was part of my anxiety crisis, um, until I had been a number of months in the job that I could apply for the next residence permit. So, and the options were very limited too. Like I could only have certain amount of jobs about certain pay threshold. So if I quit, I was basically, you know, it meant for me, it's like, oh, you have to go back home with nothing like also nothing I mean no money no plans no job nothing like what so it felt like just so overwhelming like I actually I have to withstand this because there's so much at stake 
you know, so it was, and I guess I was willing to break myself instead of abandoning the current plan that I had of switching, switching my life to, to where I live now and, and all that. I'm really curious now that you bring that up, would you do that again from the perspective of, I want to be kind and compassionate to myself? Because it sounds to me that that situation is just not a good situation to put yourself in in the first place. Yeah. Would I do it again? I mean, if I knew that things would turn out like they did, yes. Mm. <laughs> Everything turned out more, more than better. Mm. Um, but I suffered a lot through it. You know, so I, I had to keep in mind, like, what was my ultimate goal of doing this? And that also helped me through, but actually what helped me a lot through was also my therapist, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, so, so, so she was helping me like, okay, so you don't, you don't want to go back. Yes. I understand that. So let's work like just this period. What can you do that? It's going to help you right now, you know, and the the odd thing about that stage so like this was now the depression stage already um the worst part about it and i i hadn't really quite realized that about depression before is that all the tools you have at your disposal that you've learned throughout your life like meditation and you know going for a walk you you can't grasp them it's like knowing that there's a hammer it exists, it's in your toolbox, you can see it, but when you try to grab it, it's a hologram. You, ca you cannot lift it. It's just like, oh, cool. Yeah, people who meditate, yeah, cool. I don't know what that means, you know? And, and so you're just in this limbo. Um, so even though I was like with a therapist and that was helpful, it was like just super tiny, tiny, bitty helpful, you know, until you get, bigger guns in, and you know, medication and all that. Um, then you start getting better. It's hard, but I don't know. I, I think I would do it again. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, thank you, you so much back, for your candor. Good. Yes, that's true. Anna, we are approaching the end of our time limit. This was a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. I have one more question for you. Um, was there any question that you would have loved for me to ask you that I haven't asked? Mm, loved. Mm. There doesn't something have to be. About, yeah, something about dreams. I, I love mm. dreaming. Mm. So I think people get insights for to the relationship with themselves a lot by what you dream. Um, if you dream, right? Like some people don't remember their dreams, but I love dreaming. Like when I don't dream, my life is just so much more boring, you know? And, and I, I had been for months with no dreaming vividly. And then like over the Christmas period, I had again one of my crazy dreams and I was like, oh my God, it's back, you know, so, and I love it. And, and I, you know, and that completely changes my humor and state of mind. And the next day it, I feel like I just did this something amazing without leaving my bed, you know, it's like I had this adventure and it, so it's, um, yeah, dreams can be not only insightful, but fun. It's like, it's part of reality, right? You perceive it, you feel it, um, so it's, it's a, a world of magic that exists that it's just so cool. Yeah, I resonate with that. I agree. I think I would love to be able to be more present to my dreams and to do more with the stuff that comes up in my dreams. Because usually when I remember my dreams, you know, it's fragments, it's like feelings. And sometimes I can distill some kind of an insight. Oh, yes, you know, I have not looked at this. There's something in my subconscious there that bothers me. It would be so meaningful if I could do more of that and just like, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a difficult practice. Yeah, I don't have a recipe either. Um, 
I, I've, what I did often find for me is that when I swim, like when I go swimming, I have more vivid dreams after. Um, also, a lot of them involve water, but you know, whatever. That makes sense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I, I had like somehow I never drew a correlation <laughs> uh, test, but um, but I found that that to be more, more often the case than not. You know, to have more vivid dreams, more lucid dreams, or more exotic type of breaking the laws of physics kind of dreams um, wow. when I was swimming that day and then during that night. I love it. Beautiful. Um, I was going to say something like, wow, I should try swimming, but I know that I won't. So I'm <laughs> yeah, going to no. look at what's real. Don't and make I'm like, fake nope, promises. Not going to swim. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can just stick your head in the basin and it's like, <laughs> or have a bathtub. Or <laughs> yeah, I don't have a bath, oh. sadly. It's uh, just showers for me. Head in the Anna, sink. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was lovely to chat with you about your relationship with yourself. Uh, thank you. And um, is there a way that people can follow you somewhere? Do you share some things about your insights or about your yoga classes, anything? Uh, yeah, I have a YouTube channel. Not all the classes are public, but there's some. Like there's headstand tutorial and a yin tutorial breathing exercise so i'm as anna sarsosa yoga that's a n a uh set a r z o s a yoga yeah that's Great. on youtube i will post the link in the show notes of the podcast so people can find it easily and i thank you so much and have a beautiful day yeah thank you so much you too lovely talking to you if you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. Thanks.